Next, you have emotional healing, or we call sometimes call soul wound healing, mind, spirit, will. That healing lasts for a lifetime. So that's really awesome. So I call that number two. So hey, spiritual healing, well, that's what we're after, hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Second thing, emotional healing, when God comes and reaches into our soul and begins to heal us emotionally, because man, we feel the effects of sin in the midst of our world. And not only do we feel the effects of sin, but other people's choices begin to affect us. So your father and your grandfather's patterns and choices have affected you, and so you feel the effects of that, but Jesus wants to come, and Jesus wants to make us whole. Do you believe that? Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be whole. You'll be whole. Okay. And then the last thing is physical healing. That's not really that hard to God. For God to fix a leg, for God to, 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 to heal cancer. I mean, none of that stuff's hard for him, but that's physical healing. But physical healing is temporary. It lasts, very, it lasts for a short time. Why? Because we know our bodies are decaying and we're moving into that. So, hey, God, Jesus himself raised Lazarus from the dead. How many remember that? Wasn't that an awesome miracle? But guess what? Lazarus died again. So he had to die twice, okay? So you understand physical healing is very, very temporary. But so what we're really after tonight is we're after spiritual healing and then emotional healing and physical healing. And I contend when you get spiritually healed and emotionally healed, a lot of times you get physically healed. Because a lot of times the physical symptoms and problems that you're experiencing usually have a deeper root anyways. Because you are one. You are spirit, soul, and body. You can't really separate them. So anyways, um, so tonight I want to talk to you about healing. And so we're going to look uh, at Luke Luke chapter 4, verse 38. And as you're turning there, I want to talk to you about one more thing. Because there's actually really what what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about the laying of hands on people. And Jesus comes and he lays hands on all those who are sick. And this just fascinated me. And when you look at the laying of hands in the scripture, there's really four to five things that when we lay hands on, the spirit does, okay? So when you come into Luke chapter four, we're gonna be looking at verse 40, okay? But we're gonna start in verse 38. Now before we get there, I've gotta give you the flow, and we'll get into the flow in just a second. So let's just go in here, Luke chapter four, verse 38. Jesus says I can give that to you in a second. So let's listen to this. Verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue. Let's read that again. Jesus left the synagogue. Oh, let's read it one more time. Jesus left the synagogue. Isn't that interesting? Jesus left the synagogue. So everything that happens coming up is outside of the temple or the synagogue. Isn't that interesting? So notice what happens. Uh, He went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her. So you understand Jesus leaves the synagogue, and the reason Jesus leaves the synagogue is he's not leaving the synagogue because uh, he wants to just leave the synagogue, and he's not even going to Simon's house to heal Simon's mother. But when he shows up at Simon's house, there's sickness, and so they ask Jesus to help her. Since he's the Savior, the Messiah, figure it's a good idea. Verse 39. So he bent over, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So Jesus goes over to Peter's house, and he's probably going over for like PBJs, you know. He's going to eat lunch, but hey, Peter's mom is sick. And so they, they beg Jesus, hey, will you go pray for her? So Jesus goes in there, prays for her, rebukes the sickness, which is a fascinating, fascinating study. If you go through the scriptures of Luke, the chapter of Luke, and you look at the idea of rebuke, rebuke versus reprove, it's a phenomenal study. Jesus rebukes sickness. He rebukes the demonic. He rebukes the wind and the waves. So it's a fascinating study. But anyways, we don't have time for that. So he heals Peter's mom. Now notice what, verse 40. Notice what it says. At sunset. So now remember, Jesus is still not in the synagogue. He's in the city, okay? So he's hanging out down at the pavilion, okay? Memorial Health Pavilion. <laughs> Memorial Health Pavilion. Never mind. So uh, verse 40. 
at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And listen to this. And laying his hands on each one of them. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. Laying hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them. So now Jesus has rebuked sickness and now he's rebuked the demons and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So verse 40, what happens is all these people come to Jesus and Jesus lays hands on them and they all get healed and they all get healed from their sicknesses, uh, their diseases, uh, their demons. They all get healed from it by the laying of hands on someone. Do you think there's power in the laying of hands on people? Jesus, we come to you tonight and we thank you for the truth of your word. Jesus, as we dive into this, I pray, Jesus, that you'd give us wisdom and revelation. But Jesus, I pray for more than just wisdom and revelation. Father, we don't want knowledge. Father, we don't want head knowledge tonight. Father, we know head knowledge puffs us up. But Jesus, we want heart knowledge. We want to see the demonstration of your spirit tonight. So, Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit afresh in a new way. And, Father, you would teach us how to walk in what you walked in, Jesus. You are the demonstration of the kingdom of God here on earth. And we are to be everything you became. And so, Jesus, would you begin to do it in us and through us. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, we're diving into the end of chapter 4. The writer of the book of Luke is... Luke, very good. He parallels two individuals. He parallels the life of John, parallels him to the life of Jesus. Remember, there's the birth announcement of John, chapter 1. End of chapter 1, you have the birth announcement of Jesus. End of chapter 1, you actually have the birth of John. Chapter 2, you have the birth of Jesus. Chapter 3, you have the start of the ministry of John. And John's ministry, remember, revival breaks out. He's got the wild hair. He's got the wild beard. Man, he, he smiles, got locust legs hanging out of his teeth, you know. I mean, his beard's all matted with honey. He bathes in the Jordan River. One camel skin, no deodorant, smells like the river. How many have ever walked this park over here? <laughs> have you seen that water? <laughs> That's where he's dipping his camel skin. But anyways, so this is John. This is who he is. God moves upon John. Revival breaks out down at the river. You have these four groups of people who come out to the river. Man, John begins to literally baptize all these people. So we begin to call him John the Baptist. So John is baptizing all these people. People begin to think that John's the Messiah. And so they begin to expect John to be the Messiah. They're thinking, wow, that guy named John, he's got to be the Messiah. So notice what happens in Luke chapter 3. And you don't have to turn there, but I want to read this because I want you to see this because this is important. Verse 16, Luke 3, 16. So how does John answer that he's not the Messiah? And this is his answer. This is his answer that he's not the Messiah. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. I might have said John, but Luke chapter 3, verse 16. So verse 15 says, the people are waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So they're thinking, hey, this guy named John is the Messiah. Why? Because revivals broke out at the Jordan River. Miracles are happening, man. Worship music's happening. People are stepping into the water. Prostitutes are getting saved. Tax collectors are, are giving money back. Okay, so uh, Roman soldiers are laying down their weapons. I mean, God's moving down at the river. And so people think, wow, John's the Messiah. John says, listen, I baptize you with water. But, now get this. There is one who's more powerful than I. He will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. Look at your neighbor and go, woo! That sounds exciting. So he says, Jesus is coming, and Jesus is going to baptize you in the Spirit of God. And not only is he going to baptize you in the Spirit of God, but he's going to baptize you with fire. That sounds hot. Doesn't it? 
And so you understand, and if you go through Pentecost, isn't it interesting, Acts chapter 2, the, uh, the, the, the disciples are in the upper room. As they are in the upper room, tongues of fire come upon them. And some would say, well, isn't this a, a picture of his judgment? No, this is not a picture of his judgment. This is a picture of sanctification because fire burns out all the impurities in your life. So when you're baptized by the Spirit, the Spirit's going to come and the Spirit is going to purify you, sanctify you, consecrate you, set you apart for the purposes of God. And the best way John could describe that is being baptized by fire. And what if that fire is never to burn out? And what if that fire that you get baptized by the Spirit, what if you don't go from hot to cold, but what if you go from hot to hotter to hotter to hotter? What if you go from glory to glory to glory to glory? Maybe as Christians, we were not created to be baptized, oh, to be saved, to be on fire for God, and then slowly, slowly, slowly become cold. Maybe we were created to always remain hot. <clears throat> you say, well, where is this? It's Matthew. Matthew 26, at the end of the days. What does he say? He says, listen, the love of most will grow cold. So it has the idea that you were once hot, but now you have grown cold. And he says in the end times, <coughs> the church will grow cold. How many remember the day you got saved? How many remember the fire in your belly? How many would like to have that fire continue to rise in your belly? What if I told you you were created to go from hot to hot to hot to hot to hot? You were never created to go cold. And you understand in the book of Revelation, you guys remember this? You remember the church where God comes and God says, hey, you're lukewarm. Well, how do you become lukewarm? Well, lukewarm is I was hot. But now... I'm becoming cold. And so lukewarm is that stage from hot to cold. What happens at lukewarm? That's a picture of God vomiting. Do you realize there will be no vomit-induced Christians in heaven? Why? Because God wants us to be hot or cold. Because if we're hot, he can deal with us. If we're cold, he can deal with us. But when we're lukewarm, we think we're okay, but we're actually moving to cold. So do you understand what God has given you? Do you understand what John said? Jesus is going to come, and Jesus is going to get baptized by the Spirit, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. We talked about that, the encounter down at the Jordan River. And not only is he going to be baptized by the Spirit, but Jesus is going to begin to baptize other people. And so in Acts chapter 2, you have the baptism of the, uh, of the Pentecost moment where the tongues of fire come and rest on the disciples, and they have the spirit, and they have the fire, and they are launched out into ministry, man. They are launched out into sonship, and they never grow cold. As a matter of fact, they get hotter and hotter and hotter. Think of Peter, man. Peter at Pentecost stands up when he gets the fire of God in his belly, man. He stands up. He preaches to 3,000 people. 3,000 people get saved, man. Peter continues to, 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 continues to walk with Jesus. And they say at the end of his life, Jesus, or Peter was crucified on a cross. But Peter said, I'm not worthy to die on a cross. So historians tell us that Peter said, flip the cross upside down. Why? Because I'm going to die for my savior and I'm not worthy to die like him flip me upside down that's hot so he went from hot to hotter that's us that's you and I see you were never created to be saved and then slowly fizzle out you were created to go from hot to hotter to hotter to hot so what happens? So come into Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 38, or 40. So what happens here? 
So Jesus leaves the synagogue. And so we know in Luke chapter three, Jesus has this encounter with the spirit. He gets baptized by John, but he gets baptized by the spirit. We say, well, you say, well, how do you know that? Luke chapter four, verse one tells us that Jesus is full of the spirit. So we know that Jesus got baptized by the spirit. So the fire of God is now in his belly, man. The fire of God is in his heart. And so the fire of God is with him. So Jesus goes and Jesus comes in Luke chapter four and he preaches his first sermon. And his first sermon is really powerful in Luke 4, 18 because it's the manifesto of the kingdom and it's the demonstration of the kingdom. And so he stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. That's the kingdom. That's the manifesto of the kingdom. And so Jesus stands up in front of everybody and says, this is why I'm here. This is the demonstration of the kingdom. And then guess what he does? He demonstrates it through the rest of the book. So he's going to demonstrate his first sermon, which is the spirit is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the captive, bind up the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim liberty for everyone, which you understand was jubilee. (coughs) So notice what happens. We just read it. Luke chapter four, verse 40. Jesus leaves the synagogue. As Jesus is leaving the synagogue, he runs smack dab into Peter's mom. He heals Peter's mom. Then at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying hands on each one of them, he healed them. Now this is the same story that happens in Mark. (coughs) Mark chapter five. Turn with me there, Mark chapter five. Because I want you to see, Mark tells a little bit more of details of the story. Look at your neighbor and say, do you believe this? Look at this neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, you think we could do this? (coughs) Excuse me. Mark chapter five. Oh, this is just the laying of hands. Mark chapter five. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you some illustrations that Jesus laid hands on the people. And so this is one illustration. This is Jairus' daughter. You guys remember the story, verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So the requirement for Jesus to come to Jairus' house is Jesus would come and Jesus would lay his hands on her and if he laid hands on her, she would be healed. Give you another example of this. Acts chapter six, verse six. Now look at these. This was a big deal back then. They were all about this. This laying of hands on people. Acts chapter six, verse six. This is the time that they're gonna choose Stephen, who's a man full of of faith and he's full of the spirit. And they're gonna choose some of the brothers and sisters to begin to work with the widows and the distribution of food. And the disciples say, hey, listen, we don't need to do this because we need to study and we need to pray and we need to teach the people. So they propose to this whole group, they choose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the spirit. And then verse six, notice what happens. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. So what they do is literally the apostles gather these guys together, and when the apostles gather these guys together, they lay hands on them. Why? Because there's power in the laying of hands on people. Do you believe that? I'm going to give you another illustration. Turn back with me to Numbers. Numbers 8. And I'm moving you around tonight a little bit, but Numbers chapter 8. 
I want you to see these. Numbers chapter 8, verse 10. I was looking at this. And this is the commissioning of the priest. And so God tells him to come, and notice Numbers chapter 8, verse 10. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord, and the Israelites are to lay hands on them. And you are to commission the priests to receive the offerings. Numbers chapter 27. Stay in the book of Numbers with me. This is your favorite book. Numbers chapter 27, verse 23, or verse 18 and verse 23. Verse 18, listen to what it says. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. So another, another reason they lay hands on people was to commission them. And so God comes to Moses and says, listen, Moses, I want you to commission the next person who's going to take the mantle, and that next person is Joshua. So what I want you to do is I want you to call him together, call the, the assembly together, and I want you to lay your hands on Joshua. And somehow the mantle that is on you is going to be taken off your shoulders, and it's going to be placed upon Joshua. Notice what, what it says in verse 23. Verse 23, then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. So in the laying of hands, what do we begin to see in the scriptures? In the scriptures, we begin to see healing. In the scriptures, we begin to see the commissioning of the priest. We see the commissioning of Joshua. A couple other places I want you to see. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. This is all over the scriptures, this laying of hands on people. Acts chapter 9. Verse 17. Listen to this. Chapter 9. Verse 17. You know the story. This is the story of Saul. Think about this. This is the story of Saul. Saul gets going on the road to Damascus. You remember the story. He's on the donkey, right? He gets knocked off the donkey. He looks up at the sky, says, who are you, Lord? God speaks to him through a bright light. It blinds Saul. Saul can't see. So he literally has scales over his eyes. God speaks to this guy named Ananias. And God speaks to Ananias and says, listen, I want you to go to Saul's house, and I want you to place hands on him, and I want you to pray for him. And so notice what he says. We'll start in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Do you see a thing? And so notice what happens. Ananias says, hey, I've heard the reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Spirit. So not only does Ananias pray for Saul, and when he prays for Saul, Saul can see with eyes, but Saul is also filled with the Spirit from the laying of hands. Do you think we could do this? Do you think this is inside of you? Do you think we're called to this? Okay, notice what he says next. Go to the next one, Acts 19, 16. Once you see this. 
1916. Oh, this is, this is a different one. 1906. 1916 is when the, when the demoniac lays hands on the guys who are trying to cast out the demons. So that's a different, that's a different laying of hands. Okay, you're awake. Good. Verse 6. Paul, so they're, so they're having this argument at uh, Corinth in Ephesus. He arrives at Ephesus. They ask him, uh, Paul asks, what baptism did you receive? They say, we received the baptism of John. Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. So God tells Paul, or Paul lays his hands on these guys, and they get filled with the Spirit, and they prophesy through the laying of hands. So Jesus, remember in Luke chapter 4, what is he doing? Every person that comes to Jesus, he literally lays hands on them, and when he lays hands on them, they get healed. When they lay hands on them, literally what's going on in Jesus, which is the spirit, he's full of the spirit, he's full of the fire of God, so what he's doing is he's taking what's inside of him, and he's laying hands on people, and it's being released from inside of him, and people are finding freedom as Jesus lays hands on them. Paul goes through the scriptures, we see this in commissioning people, we see this in laying out hands being filled with the spirit. We see when you lay hands on people, they get healed. Give you a couple more examples. Acts 28.8. 28.8. I want you to see this. Publius, this chief official of this island. He welcomes Paul into his home and shows a generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. So again, remember, Paul is on the islands. Paul is not in the synagogue. He's not in the church. He's not teaching. He's out in the city. He's out in the islands. He goes over to this guy's house. His dad's been suffering in sickness on his bed. So they say, hey, Paul, will you come over? And Paul, will you pray for my dad? So Paul went in to see him. And after he prayed, he placed his hands on him and healed him. What would it look like in your life if you were so filled with the Spirit, if you were so on fire with God that when you laid hands on someone, the manifestation of the kingdom happened, which is the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because he's anointed you to preach to the poor He's anointed you to bind up the brokenhearted. He's anointed you to set the captive free. He's anointed you to release the prisoner from captivity. He's anointed you to proclaim freedom. And what if that happened? Because you are filled with the Spirit, you are filled with the fire of God, you are anointed, and when you lay hands on people, you are releasing what's inside of you. And people are getting healed. People's hearts are being bound and, and, and literally bounded together. Do you realize that's the manifesto of the kingdom? And do you realize that was Jesus' sermon? And then he goes out and he demonstrates that. And really, what I think tonight is I don't think you need another sermon. I think we need a demonstration of the kingdom. Do you think that? Give you one more example, two more examples. First Timothy 4.14. Oh, 4.14. First Timothy 4.14. So when we lay hands on people, really, four things can happen. One, in the Old Testament, when they laid hands on someone, there was a commissioning. So Moses' mantle was taken off of Moses and it was passed to Joshua. When we lay hands on people, there's actually a story of the scapegoat, which we don't have time to get into. But when Aaron would lay his hands on the goat, 
literally the whole sins of an entire nation. Those whole sins of an entire nation would literally be lifted off a nation. It would go through Aaron and it would be placed on the head of the goat. And then what they were called to do is they were called to release the goat into the desert. And the goat would carry the sins of a nation. And all that happened through the laying of hands. In the New Testament, when we ever see the laying of hands, we see people are being filled with the Spirit. We see people getting healed. We see people um, um, being filled and being healed. And then the last thing I want you to see, when we lay hands on someone, Paul imparts a gift to Timothy through the laying of hands. And you say, well, what do you mean? 1 Timothy 4.14, listen to this. Do not neglect your gift, talking to Timothy, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. What if when you lay hands on someone, the spirit of God that's inside of you could release a gift that's inside of you and you could literally release that into someone else when you lay hands on them through the power of the spirit? Paul refers to this again in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.6. Listen to this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God does not make us timid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So through the laying of hands, Paul lays his hands on Timothy, and when he lays his hands on Timothy, what is going on inside of Paul is literally taken out of Paul, and it is placed inside of Timothy, and Paul reminds him to stir up that gift that is inside of you that you received when they laid hands on you. Now come all the way back to Luke chapter 4, verse 40, and I want you to see this. How cool would this be? How cool would this be? At sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one. Laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Matthew 4 gives you the same account. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it for you. Because it gives you a little bit, it gives you a little bit of a deeper account of it. And I want you to see this, what happens there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, listen to this. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. He healed them. And according to Luke chapter 4, the reason, one of the ways he healed them was by laying hands on each one of them. Here's the fundamental problem or question we have. If we truly believe that Luke is giving us an account of the birthing of the kingdom in Luke chapter 3, and Jesus is a prototype, that Jesus is not operating out of his godhood, but Jesus is operating as a spirit-sourced man, and he is the first among many brothers, and he says, you'll do greater things than I. Why? Because I'm operating as a spirit-sourced man. I'm not operating out of my godhood, and the whole wilderness scene is all about that. The enemy says, hey, reach back into your godhood. He says, no, I'm not gonna reach into my godhood. I'm gonna operate it as a spirit-sourced man, so I have every, uh, everything that you have, uh, he had, and so in that moment, he's a spirit source man operating as a spirit source man, and so for the rest of the book of Luke, he's operating as a spirit source man, so he has the same, same resource that you have, and I have the same resource that he had. See, I don't have the resource of God because I'm not God, but I have the resource of the spirit, and if you go through the book of Luke, he, he emphasizes for the rest of the book that here is the demonstration of the kingdom. What is the demonstration of the kingdom? The spirit of God is upon me, why? Because he has sent me to set the captive free. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty. That is the manifestation of the kingdom. And so for the rest of the book of Luke, he is going to manifest the kingdom, which is that. So I have, I, I'm not surprised that Jesus is down at the pavilion, and as he's down at the pavilion, the sun is setting. Everybody's heard about Jesus, so all of a sudden they start dragging their sick there. They start dragging the ill there. They start dra- dragging the demoniacs there. They start dragging people there, and Jesus takes time and literally lays hands on each one of them, and as he lays hands on each one of them, he heals them, and he demonstrates the kingdom here on earth. And not in the synagogue, but over at the pavilion. And what if I told you that's the call of us? Is the demonstration of the kingdom. And if we're not demonstrating the kingdom, what are we doing? If we're not laying hands on people and setting them free... Why are we here? And what if God wants to start in the synagogue so you guys can practice in here so when you go to the pavilion and begin to lay hands on people and people begin to get set free, you've already had practice. You already know what you're doing. And so maybe this is training ground for that. And maybe he's getting ready, getting you ready. And he's saying, listen, you've been baptized with the Spirit. Come on, you've been baptized with fire. Come on. So this is a demonstration of the kingdom. And we weren't created to be on fire and to go cold. We were created to be on fire and affect our entire community. Because we leave the synagogue and we go to church or we go to, we go to Walmart or we go to Rural King, which that is a phenomenal store. <laughs> they got free popcorn. I've been twice today for the popcorn. I was wondering if you can go in just for the popcorn. I'd be like, hey, just here for the popcorn. But anyways, what would it look like to go into Rural King and as you're walking around, God speaks to you and says, hey, will you go pray for that person? Well, no, 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 no. You don't understand. What will they think? Oh, so one of the rooms of your life is fear. We talked about that last night. Jesus wants to walk into that room and set you free from that. See, I'd rather be a fool for God than a fool for this world. So I really don't care what people think. Why? Because I've got the fire of God in me. I'm full of the spirit. Why? Because I'm a son of God. Christ in me is the hope of glory. And when I lay hands on someone, something should happen. And if you are filled with the Spirit, I promise you when you lay hands on something, something is happening. That that might not manifest right away, but I will tell you it will eventually demonstrate. Because we're impatient people, so we pray and then they don't get healed, but three days later they do get healed. What would it look like if Marysville Church of the Nazarene said, man, we're filled with the Spirit. We're on fire. Friday night, we're going over to the pavilion. Man, we're going to have ribs. Listen to jazz music. But as we're doing that, we're going to listen to the Spirit. And we're going to release what's inside of us. Which is not ribs and jazz music. It's the fire of God. And when I go and lay hands on someone, I expect something to happen. Because I've been practicing at church. Because we've been praying for each other. And if we're not doing that, (laughs) we are simply a country club going through the motions. And we're really not doing anything. Because the kingdom is the spirit of the Lord is upon you. And he has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent you to set the captives free. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for everybody. And what's going on inside of you, you can release out into the midst of your world. Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome? What does that mean for us? You only can release what you receive. (laughs) 
When you receive freedom, you release freedom. When you get healed, you release healing. When you step into authority, you release authority. When you get baptized by the Spirit, you release the Spirit. The other problem is, and I see it, you release what you receive. You release what's inside of you. And so there's probably people that I don't really want people laying hands on me because I really don't want what they got. But there are some people that I look at them and say, man, they got the fire of God inside of them. And I want them to come and lay hands on me. Why? Because for Paul and Timothy, Paul gave Timothy a gift. And Paul said, stir that sucker up, man, because it's inside of you. I laid hands on you. What would it look like for us as spirit-filled Christians to lay hands? What would it look like, grandma and grandpa, just to go and just to lay hands on your son and daughter? And you don't even have to pray for them. You could just pray for them silently. It could be like an undercover mission. Hey, son, how you doing? And in your mind, you're praying for them. Because the spirit of God is inside of you, and if, the, if you're filled with the fire of God, it will affect and it will eventually demonstrate in their life what would it look like to lay hands on your grandchildren? Some of you say, I want to lay hands on my grandchildren. <laughs> That's a whole other story. So what would it look like to lay hands? What would it look like to lay hands on your wife? Just to hold her hand. If you're holding her hand. Jesus, I'm releasing what's inside of me. Jesus, I'm asking the fire of God to do a work in my marriage. What would it look like? And man, we need this, guys. Can I tell you, we need what's inside of you. Because you realize that God created this generation to be alive for this hour and for this moment. And so there's a whole generation that's coming up who's not scared of the movement of God. But they need the wisdom of this generation. So we need what's inside of you. We need it. But my question to you is, well, are you going to just go through the motions? Or are you going to say, hey, listen, I know there's something inside of me. There's wisdom. There's power. There's authority. Man, I've seen things. So, hey, I'm going to invest in that young person. I'm going to invest in the youth. I'm going to invest in the children. I'm going to volunteer. Why? Because I want to take what's inside of me, and, man, I want to give it away. I really didn't know what time it is, but this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to impart healing. I really believe that God wants to do something. I just do. I believe that I was telling uh, uh, Amy that it's so funny because I, I believe that in these services, man, we get right to the edge of the Jordan River. And then we stick our toe in and it seems like everybody moves back. <laughs> Come on, we got to go past it. Because I'm telling you, where are we headed? To the pavilion. That's where we're going. And we're not just going for the ribs. We're going to heal people. Amen. We're going to set people free. We're going praying that God demonstrates everything that's hidden, which is Capernaum. That's why we're alive. Because, folks, the age of salvation is now. And so what would it look like, man, if you could just be so filled with the fire and filled with love and filled with the spirit that when you encountered someone, you could be saying, God, what do you want to do in them? What do you want to release in them? Do you want me to, pray? Do you want me to lay hands on them? Do you want me just to pray for them? Do you just want me to smile and just speak life over them? What if we could have every encounter that way and you could release what's inside of you? I'll never forget when this happened in my life. Two years ago, I was at a awakening conference down in Texas. And I had been studying this whole thing about the Paul and Timothy and the laying of hands. And so I've been studying it. And the Lord spoke to me. And there was, a particular, there was one particular guy who was a speaker. And he said, I want you to, I want you to ask him to pray for you 
And I'd really been walking through the whole sonship idea that we're sons, and that's your identity. See, my identity is not if, if someone gets healed. My identity is not in ministry. My identity is not in preaching. My identity is I'm a son, and dad loves me. And I'm filled with his spirit, and I just can't help but give him away. That's my identity. And he said, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to have this guy pray for you for a greater sense of sonship in your life. And so I remember getting there down to Texas, and, and we were down at the Long, Longhorns, I think, like a steakhouse. I don't know why we keep talking about food, but anyways, so we were at a steakhouse, and I looked at him, and he came up to me, and he said, hey, man, my name's... I said, hey, I know who you are. I said, the Lord asked me to, t- to ask you if you would pray over me a greater sense of sonship. And I said, I know it's not time right now, but whenever that is time, I want you to do it. He said, absolutely, absolutely. I would love to do that. I said, okay. Sitting in service, presence of God is thick. Dad says it's time. So I hop up out the front row. I go out back because you can't, you can't, the front row is just, it's packed. So, so I go to the back and then I come back down and I come back down the aisle and he's sitting on the front row. And so I sit next to him and tap him on the shoulder and say, hey man, I really feel like it's time for you to pray over me. So he said, okay. And he's writing things down. And so he puts his things, his things down and he comes and he looks at me and says, okay, I'm gonna pray over you. I said, awesome. And so I just get in a position and he takes his hands and he sticks his hands on my shoulder and his hands are so heavy. I just remember sitting there thinking, man, your hands are heavy. And so he has his hands on me and he just begins to pray the fire of God down on me, in me, and through me. And I just remember sitting there weeping, just weeping. I was crying like a baby. I was just weeping. I was weeping before the Lord. And I just, man, he was just praying and he was, he was just praying all this stuff that the Lord had taken him through and he was he was just praying that in me and through me and on me and he's just praying for me. And I don't know how long I was sitting there and finally he gets done and, you know, I get done and, you know, I'm wiping my eyes and I get up and I head back and I go and I sit back down next to my wife and I look over at her and she said, what happened to you? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I said, but that guy over there just prayed for me and it totally wrecked me. And what was really interesting is I went home and I fell asleep that night. And I remember I woke up at three in the morning. I'm talking wide awake, three in the morning, on the dot. And it was the craziest thing because I could hear someone praying in my bus. And originally I thought it was Brooke. So I look over at Brooke and she's, she's sound asleep. She doesn't snore, but she's sound asleep. And I hear someone praying. And all of a sudden I turn and I see Jesus who's praying. And all of a sudden I hear the voice of the Father and say, that is my son who's interceding in heaven. And I want you to hear what he's interceding. And as Jesus is praying, Jesus is praying for my family. He's praying for a pastor friend that I knew. And I heard, I heard God's voice say, son, I want you to join me in the intercession that's happening up in heaven. So I start weeping because I'm having this encounter with Jesus and the Father up in heaven praying for pastor friends I know, praying for my family, praying for situations, very specific circumstances where I was like, God, how do you know that? Well, he's God, you know, but I was like, wow, you do see that. So that goes on for like an hour and a half and then I, I finally come out of that and I fall asleep. The next night, same thing happens. Three o'clock, wide awake, intercession in heaven. Can hear it. Happened three nights in a row. And then the fourth night, went away. Never came back. No idea. But I do believe when that man prayed for me, he laid his hands on me, and the power of the Spirit came in, in me and through me, and something happened that radically transformed me. I went down. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you, and then we got, we got to go. We got to get started. Well, we started, but we got to get, get going. 
I, uh, ever since that day, he prayed for me. I've had people just come up to me and speak to me and prophesy over me. And um, they basically just say, God has put into you a father's heart. And I was down at this crisis pregnancy center and I walk up to this guy because he has the father's heart. And he's, he's, he's this cool man, black guy who just smiles, man. And you could just, he oozes the father's heart. So I, I went up to him, man. I was like, come on, pray for me. Because I want more of that. I want more of the father's heart. I just want to release love, man. I just want to release love. I want to release his heart. And so I was like, pray for me. And so he prays for me. And as soon as he lays his hands on me, he goes, whoa. And he says, you got the father's love inside of you. I was like, I know, yeah. I said, I just want more. And then he begins to prophesy over me. And he says a bunch of stuff. And, and then he begins to prophesy that I have the father's love and the father's heart. And I've actually received it. And do you understand now that I've received it? God has given me a responsibility to go and to give it away. See, when you receive healing, God gives you a responsibility to go and give it away. See, when you receive salvation, God gives you a responsibility to go and to give it away. See, when you get filled with the Spirit, God gives you a responsibility to go and to give it away. That's what you were created for. That's the church. That's what we're after. So what we're going to do tonight is, is we're just going to, we're just going to ask Jesus. We're going to ask Jesus what he wants to do. But I want to begin to practice. Because I just don't want to come and sit. Because when we come and sit, I feel like we start spectating and then we hear a good sermon and then we go home. See, there's things that are inside of you that we need because we cannot win our community with just pastor. We need the gifts and the anointings and the spirit that's inside of you. And so we need you to participate here in the service so eventually we can go over to the pavilion and start participating over there. And so tonight what we're going to do is is we're just going to pray that God would just Fill us with his spirit. We're just going to pray that God would anoint us afresh and anew. We're just going to pray that God would come and as we lay hands, God would begin to do new, fresh work in us. And I really believe tonight that God wants to heal. And again, I don't know that it's all physical. Physical is low priority for me. What's really priority is spiritual. Especially the heart that is cold. I want to see that thing catch fire again. The heart that's lukewarm, heading to cold, I want to see that thing catch fire again. The heart that's stoned. And some of you have a heart of stone. It is so evident. I won't look at you, but it is so evident because you've been hurt and you've been broken and you've been wounded. And so you put up walls and it creates a heart of stone. But God never created us for a heart of stone. He created us for a heart of flesh. And he wants to heal the heart of stone. And so God wants to come and heal us emotionally. He wants to deal with the things in our lives. Because we weren't created for anxiety. We weren't created for doubt. We weren't created for unbelief. We weren't created for depression. We weren't created for suicide. We weren't created for these voices that bombarded. We weren't created for fear. We weren't created for that stuff. We weren't created for the shame. So So many of us live in shame because of sexual sin. So we live in shame. God didn't create us for that. You weren't created to carry that. You were created for life and hope and joy. You were created to be a burning fire of his presence in the spirit. And I believe that God wants to come and he wants to baptize your spirit with fire and burn all that stuff up. And he wants to heal you. That's freedom. Jesus, oh, we need you tonight. Oh, Jesus, we need you tonight. Probably talked more than I should, Dad. But you know me. You created me this way. But Jesus, we want to step over the threshing hold. We want to step over that threshold. And we want to step into your kingdom. Jesus, we don't want to just gather to hear a good word. Jesus, we want to hear a word and see it followed up with your spirit. Paul, you, Paul said that 
He didn't come with persuasive words, but he came with a demonstration of the Spirit. And so, Jesus, I pray that that somehow in the midst of this service that you'd begin to impart your Spirit. I pray, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit that you would come and that you would begin to minister to every person in this place. Because, Jesus, I want to be so on fire for you. I want to be so anointed. I want to be so filled with your presence and filled with your spirit that, Father, when I lay hands on people, their atmosphere begins to shift. God, when I lay hands on people, the dynamics of their lives begin to transform and change. And, Dad, it's all over the scripture. And, Jesus, I'm just foolish enough to believe your word. That if they could do it in Acts, we can do it now. If they were filled with the Spirit in Acts, we can be filled with your Spirit now. And Jesus, what would it look like for the pavilion to be wrecked because sons and daughters of God showed up who are on fire and who are filled with your Spirit? Jesus, that's what we want. It's time for us to leave the synagogue. It's time for us to come out of the wilderness. It's time for us to step into everything that you dreamed us to be. And so, Jesus, would you come tonight? Jesus, would you have your way? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you are tonight, but I just want to give you the opportunity to respond. And there's going to actually be a couple forms of response. Maybe tonight you need healing. Maybe tonight you need emotional healing. I want to give you opportunity to come up to an altar and I want to give you an opportunity just to kneel. We were not created to live under the bondage of the enemy. We were not created to live with voices in our head. We were not created to live in fear and doubt and anxiety. We weren't created for that. And tonight, I want to come out of legal agreement with the enemy. And the way we come out of legal agreement with the enemy is we come to an altar and we just confess and repent and we bring things into the light. Because as you bring things into the light, you're coming into agreement with the heavenly realm, which says you are already forgiven. You are holy. You are loved. You are adopted in the kingdom. See, God already paid the price for you. And what the enemy tries to do is the enemy tries to keep things hidden. Because he knows as soon as you expose it, he loses legal ground and you'll get set free from it. And so I believe tonight that there's some people who are, who are hiding. I believe tonight there's some people who have some things in their life that only them and Jesus know about. But I believe tonight that they're, it's legal ground and the enemy's just using it in your life. Tonight I want you to find freedom. Tonight I want you to be free from shame. Tonight, I want you to be free from condemnation, shame, and guilt. There is none of that in the kingdom. The Spirit convicts and reveals what's in our heart. And so, Spirit, I ask tonight that you would come and you would heal. I ask tonight that you would come and you would begin to speak into hearts. Come on, Dad, you know them. This is your, your sons and your daughters. You know exactly where they are tonight. So one form of response tonight is if you'd like to come to an altar and if you'd like to kneel and if you'd like to confess and repent. And whenever I take anybody through confession and repentance, all I say is all you have to do is come to an altar or maybe you can even do it in your seat. But I love coming to an altar because it shows that I'm responding to the spirit and I'm serious about this. And when you come to an altar, all you have to do is confess with your mouth. And I always say confess openly with your mouth out loud. And you can even do it as a whisper. Because when you do that, you're coming out of agreement with the heavenly realms because the enemy's in the second heaven. And when you confess, you're letting him know, you're putting him on notice that he has no longer has hold of this area in your life. And so I really do, I believe there's some people who need to come out of, come out of agreement with anxiety and doubt. There's a couple of people who have to come out of agreement with suicide. There's some who have shame. So I want to give you opportunity to respond. That's one form of response. Second form of response is if you say, you know what, Chad, I, I really, 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 I really want God to do something afresh and anew in my life. 
And God has not shown me any areas in my life where, where I'm hiding things. But I have a hunger and a desperation for more. I have a hunger and a desperation for more of his spirit, for more of what he wants to do in me. And if that's you tonight, I want to invite you just to come and I want to invite you just to sit on this front row. Because we want to lay hands on you. We want to anoint you and we want to pray for you. And we want to ask God to set you ablaze. So those are our forms of response tonight. We're going to spend a few moments of seeking, a few moments of responding.